Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF Podcast. In the State of Fashion 2019 report, we predicted the end of ownership as one of the key themes that would define the fashion industry in 2019. Of course, vintage clothing has always been part of the retail fashion scene. But as with many brick and mortar retail segments, this is now transitioning online and boy, what a year it has been. In June 2019, the pioneering reseller, The Real Real, raised $300 million in its initial public offering on NASDAQ. That same month, Paris-based Vestiaire Collective raised $45 million and London-based Depop raised $62 million, both to fund their own expansion. That's $407 million raised in one month. The resale market is clearly on fire and growing consumer desire for variety and affordability means it could outgrow the fast fashion market in 10 years, according to some estimates. To explore this topic, we invited Max Bittner, CEO of Vestiaire Collective, and Maria Raga, CEO of Depop, to the Voices 2019 stage to speak with BOF sustainability correspondent Sarah Kent about the rise of the resale economy. Neither of you come from a fashion industry background, and so I wanted to start by having both of you talk through where you come from and what drew you to this opportunity. And Maria, if you would like to kick off. Sure. So like Hayden, um, I also need to accept that I come from the management consulting um, world. Um, I did that for about five years. Um, and then I jumped into the digital world, uh, started uh, to Groupon. I did that for about five years. And then I... I discovered Depop actually before um, um, being part of the team um, because I was looking for some vintage uh, clothes and um, I was attracted by the fact that it was a mobile first uh, platform, which five years ago, it was not that obvious. Um, um, many co companies were uh, transitioned from web into mobile. And so the fact that it was mobile first, the fact that they were using social media in a very smart way to build a community to, to yeah, in a very, very um, organic um, way, I, I was re really attracted by it. So that's why I joined. And Max, you had a very strong e-commerce background, but not in fashion. So why make the jump into this industry? Um, so, so I previously built a company called Lazada in Southeast Asia, which was e-commerce, general merchandise. We were actually terribly bad at fashion and it was one of my obsessions for a long time. Uh, and I really failed miserably at it. And uh, after selling the company to Alibaba, you know, I was looking for opportunities moving back to Europe. Uh, and the Vestiaire opportunity came out of nowhere. I have to admit, I didn't know the company. I understood the concept of retail, but I've been in such a tunnel for the last seven, eight years that I didn't have time to, to digest it. Um, but what fascinated me when I looked at the business and, and, and kind of engaged with it more was the incredible emotional connection between the buyers and the sellers and the products and the brands, um, the engagement with the platform. Uh, and coming from Asia, this whole concept of community, social engagement, you know, is, is such a big part of e-commerce. And I felt that, you know, of course, you had pioneers like Depop driving that in Europe, but the rest of the e-commerce environment was still heavily kind of Amazon dogmatized about, you know, search, add to cart, filter as efficiently as possible, you know, the emotional connection of, of you know, not much. Um, so I felt, um, you know, this was an incredibly exciting opportunity and, you know, living in a world where uh, we all ask ourselves what to do that seemed like a, an amazing opportunity uh, to actually, you know, run a business which core kind of fundamental uh, is built on sustainability, is built on, on circularity. So, you know, I looked at what the business 
um, was good at. And I think Vestiaire has an amazing fashion DNA, a great brand, amazing supply. And I looked at what could be improved with my background uh, on, on scaling a tech company. Uh, and I thought the combination was an amazing one. You touched, so on some, you touched on some very topical points there, sustainability, the power of community, all of which are kind of encapsulated in re-commerce. Is it that that's helping to drive this market now? Or, or Maria, what, what is driving the growth we're seeing in resale at the moment? Um, so I think there's there's three things that are driving the industry. One is definitely a consumer behavior uh, change towards uh, secondhand. Again, five years ago, it was hard to to believe that there was going to be, uh, when you think about the, the next generation, more than 50% are already buying secondhand or are considering to buy secondhand in the near future. So this is something that five years ago was, was really hard to, to conceive. Um, the second thing is the fact that uh, second um, second high is more accessible, and so our consumers are price sensitive um, by default. So allowing people to buy high quality items at a lower price is definitely something very attractive for consumers. And lastly, the proliferation of online platforms like Depop and Reste Collective, it's allowing a basic a concentration of inventory, uh, digital inventory that allows um, consumers to have more choice. Yeah, in the case of of Depop, I think the driver has been more uh, driven by our core audience. So ninety percent of our users are under the age of twenty six, so very very young, and they are looking for for ways to to socialize um, that are different to the ones of all other generations. So again, uh, they primarily do it through social media um, because uh, that's you know they are mobile natives and they they do that also for the fashion uh, taste so for us um when, when we look at a, a community you see that the fact that depop is a social platform social marketplace it has basically made the the, the, the business to grow uh, a lot faster and again in an organic way and then secondly um the second thing that our audience wants is uh, to make money and so we are able to provide a platform that makes it very easy for them to sell those items uh, and to make money as a result. So as a consequence, you, ha you have a very vibrant community of very engaged users that are super passionate about fashion. And they are actually, you know, at the end of the day, making secondhand cool, which again contributes to making the resale uh, platform, I mean, the, the resale to grow faster. Max, Vestia has a slightly different beast. It's a more luxury product. It's a more, it's an older consumer. Is it the same drivers or is it slightly different? You know, I think I'm really happy you remembered all those statistics because I keep on forgetting them. But um, to add to that, I think there's one or two points which are, are allowing us as a business to thrive. I think the first one is that, that from the outside, the fashion industry in some sort of way mirrors what's happening in society where, you know, the rich get richer. Uh, and the luxury players are chasing them, um, you know, up the stairs. Um, I use the example of being also a consultant in the past, uh, having to buy suits. You know, the choice back then was buying a Hugo Boss suit. I'm German, so that's what I have to wear as a German. <laughs> and buying a Xenia suit, which I couldn't afford at the time. And at the time, a Xenia suit would cost like 850 euros, 900 euros. Now a Xenia suit costs 2,500 euros. Um, and on the bottom end, you know, you have, you know, the, the, the parts of society which are struggling in fast fashion becoming cheaper and cheaper to, to serve those needs. And you have this forgotten middle class, um, you know, which in the past could afford, you know, a nice suit, a nice bag, a nice night in a, uh, in a nice hotel. Um, 
you know, but a lot of that has, you know, become out of reach because the industry defines itself by becoming more and more exclusive um, and, and, you know, being in some sort of way hard to reach. Um, so I think the opportunity for us is, is absolutely to differentiate ourselves and make a lot of these, you know, beautiful products uh, accessible in some sort of way and finding the right owner for the right product at the right time uh, in their life cycle. So I think that's to, to add on her points. And I'm sure you'll both happily talk about how great this market is and the opportunities there for the next 15 minutes. But <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the challenges as well. Um, I think on the luxury side, everyone will be aware of the criticisms leveled against the real real recently in terms of the problems with their authentication problem. Um, Max with Vestiaire as sort of a core competitor in this space, how damaging are those allegations to the credibility of the entire luxury resale market? And how big a challenge is authentication? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to hide behind, um, you know, this was my competitor. You know, I think you will find you know, the same criticism against Vestiaire um, out there. I think we do a lot um, to improve every single day. And, and, you know, we face our challenges being a fast-growing company to, to scale over every process that we make um, as much as we can. So, so we're not perfect. Um, we try to be perfect. We try to improve every day. Um, I think that the two, three things that, that I really want to point out is uh, for us at our core is, is the trust in our community um, and the trust uh, that community gives to each other and, and, and towards us. And, you know, if things in, that, in these processes break down, uh, you know, we really see our role as a platform to step in and, and say, okay, something went wrong, we'll take care of it. And the consumers need to reach out to us and, and we will fix it. Uh, and we try to learn from every one of these mistakes, uh, you know, every single time they happen. Um, and I think the second one, you know, is is that we have this community, we have people we trust, these people have a history on us. And I think it's our job as a platform in the future to make that history much more transparent uh, and, and and, you know, bring people together. Um, but let's not distract from the, the things that we do well. Uh, I think it's very easy for, for new business like, models like ours uh, who grow like the, the speed that we do to point out the, the small things which go wrong. Um, you know, I would love people to really focus on, on the good we bring. I think we are you know, fundamentally at heart a business which does something about sustainability and circularity. Um, and that's a lot more than, you know, trucking in 40 trees to a fashion show and saying that's sustainability. But isn't authentication central to the business model? The, selling real luxury items is, is core. Absolutely. And like I said, that's the core goal of what we're trying to achieve. And, you know, we've been very forthcoming in the past and will continue to be and work as close as possible with the brands and getting better at it. There will be technologies in the future which allow us to improve these processes um, and, you know, we're, we're asking for a helping hand any given time of the day. And have you felt any fallout since the real, real news broke, pushback from brands or from... Not, not really. Out? I think, you know, I've not been at, in this business for that long. I've been here for a year. Um, and even in this year, I think I just started working at Vestiaire and, and the, the Business of Fashion report came out like two days later. Um, you know, it made me feel really good about my choice. Um, and, you know, I've started meeting brands... You know, I think it's a bit the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, some are very forward. Some are hesitant in kind of wait-and-see mode. And some are, you know, a bit more defensive. Um, but I think that is really changing. I think in the end, it's not what I want and what they want. It's what the consumers want. And I think it's really our job to continue educating consumers of the benefits of the model 
Um, and we are making these wonderful products accessible to a much wider audience. And I think there's big opportunities uh, for both sides and, and, and it's a win, win situation in my view. And I'm going to stop picking on you now and turn to Maria. It's my turn. <laughs> Imran referenced the uh, piece we did last week yep. about the challenges that um, you guys have had mm-hmm. with your community and managing that. Community is a really important value driver. Definitely. Um, how, how do you manage this issue? Hmm. What are you going to do about it going forward? So, so yeah, given the fact that we are a social marketplace um, and that we have a large amount of users, we're talking about 15 million users um, that are um, exchanging messages on a daily basis, um, there's obviously a, a room for things to go wrong. And so, um, yeah, whether it's from the transaction point of view or whether it's for inappropriate behavior. And so for us, um, trust, it's a critical thing that we need to maintain in the platform. And uh, we've got absolutely zero tolerance to inappropriate behavior. Um, now, the way to solve this, well, first of all, it's there's a clear acknowledgement that this is something that needs to be policed. Um, because ultimately, if you don't, things like this happen. And um, it all starts by having a robust uh, set of terms and conditions, um, having very clear guidelines. So what's what's cool, what's not cool, and and then having a moderation team that basically um, from a proactive and reactive way um, can monitor what's happening in the platform. And so uh, because of the size and also because of the, the as I mentioned, the majority of our users are, are very young, um, it is very important that we do it uh, properly and in a scalable way. Um, and so I'm, I'm myself personally very, very committed to making sure that we continue to develop those tools. This is not a, um, a project that you start and finish uh, tomorrow. This is an ongoing exercise because things get, uh, problems get more sophisticated and therefore um, you need to continue to invest on it. So um, I'm a firm believer that with technology, we're able to identify these things and make sure that they they basically don't happen because even if it happens once time, one time, it's one time too many. So do you see that being primarily a technological solution? Because, you know, you look at many of the bigger, the longer running and bigger social media platforms, they're grappling with this issue too. Yeah. They haven't found a technological solution. Like you said, Depop has a lot of very, very young users on it. Um, you know, is is it good enough to say we're going to wait for the point at which we can develop the technology to manage it? Do there need to be more restrictive controls, parental controls? Yeah, we're already using those technologies, those those tools to identify through machine learning what sort of messages are inappropriate. Um, we also have the community, they have the possibility to report uh, that activity when it happens so that we can uh, out really quickly uh, filter those messages out or ban those users. So we already have those tools in place. Now, the the question is, are they good enough? And what are we doing to make sure that they are as effective as possible? And this is something that is just an ongoing work. Um, and it's important to continue to develop, continue to be innovative about those tools so that they can be as effective as, as possible. And I, and I think just to jump in here to challenge that notion that the big social players, you know, have not figured out the technology to stop this. Um I think they have a lot of technologies and that they could do much more. So I think it really comes down to the commitment of the platform, you know, what is okay and what is not so okay. So you're saying the big players aren't committing to stopping it. That's what you said. But <laughs> I'm implying. Just reading between the lines of, here. 
Although you also want to grow Vestia's community yes. significantly. So how are you looking at this issue? You know, I think we are uh, a slightly more controlled marketplace uh, than Depop is. You know, every product that goes online, we curate it before. Every account that is being created, we review um, the account. We review the pictures on the account. Um, and, and we, you know, handhold the process uh, more, which is, you know, more expensive. But I think it's the core part of, of what we think is a curated marketplace, whether it's first-hand or second-hand. Um, and we really you know, see the community here as, as an opportunity uh, much more to, to give the buyers, the sellers, the brands a, a voice um, publicly versus privately. Um, you know, and I think it should be out in the open um, versus kind of behind closed doors. Um, you know, and the commitment is absolutely there to, 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 you know, in the end, the bottom line is, are you as a platform willing to lose sales if people don't act according with your rules? And if that answer is not a clear um, yes, um, you know, I think then you have values issues that, that you need to, you know, deal with yourself. But, you know, I think from our side, uh, community or not, you know, we, we will not tolerate that kind of behavior on our platform. So going forward, that will be zero tolerance policy. Yes. I think when you guys talk about community, it's very interesting because what you are both building in terms of community is something most brands would kill for. Um, as you go forward, how, how do you see the e-commerce space evolving? How do you see it competing with the primary market? And how do you see brands' attitudes to e-commerce changing? You know, I think it's a massive opportunity. I think the, you know, in the end, fashion is more than the last season. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of, you know, fashion lovers out there who, who want to define their own style. They, you know, in some sort of way, enjoy the treasure hunt, Alibaba's cave, whatever you want to call it, to find that unique piece somewhere out there. And, and the life cycle of a product doesn't end at the primary sale. There's, you know, a long, you know, story afterwards to to be told um and the way that consumers act after the primary sale is interesting the way the prices develop afterwards is interesting um the way trends come back um you know every couple of years or decades uh, is interesting so we sit on a huge amount of very very exciting information and, and you know from our side that community absolutely wants to include the ecosystem it wants to give um, the brands the chance to engage with that community to give them the tools um, you know to share their message and 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 be part of that ecosystem um, you know so the goal is to work towards that um, as much as we can so the brands who are legally opposing some of the resale sites have got it wrong and they should embrace this well, I, I'm not being sued yet <laughs> uh, maybe you know something I don't know but um, I hope I hope they won't. Um, I think they so far have been uh, very constructive. I think they're in a kind of getting to know us phase, um, you know, and that process sometimes takes a bit longer. Sometimes it's a bit faster, um, but in the end, it's the consumers which are incredibly excited about this. Um, in, in the end, we're we're trying to serve the consumers as much as we can.
we are at time, Maria, you get the final word. What is um, the future of resale? Um, so I think um, the the future of uh, of resale, um, obviously, particularly uh, when I think about resale, I think about hip hop, and I see that um, we have the the opportunity to play beyond the resale. Um, so traditionally, we think about resale as sort of the last piece in the uh, fashion circle. But if you think about it, when you think about like the activity that is happening on Deepam, you see these super young creative people that are basically building up businesses that are actually um, creating trends. Um, they are actually transforming the fashion industry. So they have the potential to play a bigger role in the industry. Um, if you think about how the next generation is being influenced right now, it's not with magazines anymore. It's with social media. It's with, with people around them that they are influenced with. And that is transforming the way people are thinking about what needs to be created in the first place, whether it's because of sustainability or whether it's because um, you get access to those kinds of trends that um, are being again created by the community. Um, so I really believe that resale has the potential to play a bigger role in the fashion ecosystem. So perhaps a more positive note than some of the other talks we've hit on Hopefully. today. Oh, yeah. Thank you both very much. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, give us a rating, and you might be interested in joining the Business of Fashion's global membership community, BOF Professional. Our members receive exclusive deep dive analysis, regular email briefings, as well as unlimited access to our archive of over 10,000 articles, our new iPhone app, biannual special print editions, and all of the online courses and learning materials from BOF Education.